Welcome back to another edition of It's Raining Mets. Meteorologist Ed Russo here. Hello, it's meteorologist Tom Russell here, and always great to catch up with you, Ed. Yeah, you know, I feel like we have a rhythm here. It's always uh, Steve and Stacy and... And you and me. And Tom and Ed. <laughs> well, you know, we should try to flip-flop a little bit once in a yeah. while. Yeah. Schedules make it uh, a little more difficult, so... Yeah, we're just like, have you know, creatures of routine here, so... We'll, <laughs> Our, we'll yeah. eventually have all four of us get together, too. <laughs> well, we do from time to time, and before long, we'll be doing our summer outlook, and we'll do that together, so... Yeah, and then we'll, then we'll be doing our winter outlook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Bite your tongue, we're still trying to get through this one, so... Well, why don't we start there? Uh, it's been incredible uh, as far as the month of February. We're wrapping that up as you listen to this podcast. And uh, February, you know, we knew it was going to be active. We knew it was going to be a little colder. You know, January had nothing. And then February made up for lost time, don't you think? Yeah, so we've uh, we've kind of uh, turned the tides a bit for the month of February. And now it looks like we're going back to more of a more of a maybe a little more of a spring-like pattern. That 50 degrees we felt recently, or that 57 was... <laughs> was Pretty quite impressive. amazing, wasn't it? I forgot what that felt like. <laughs> well, let's not gloss over February here because, no. you know, after last winter and, and we have 5.1 inches of snow, barely nothing. And now February, you know, folks were like, wow, it just keeps coming. And that's much more of a, a typical February. Now, we were way above average snowfall wise. So I think 19.7 is what we had for mm -hmm. the month just for the month of February. So altogether, we're at 36 inches for the season, and an average season for us is only around 30, 31 inches. Right, and I know a lot of, there are some people thinking, our, I got asked a couple of this, I got asked this by a few people. Uh -huh. um, they were asking, you know, how's this ranked to re record, like record snow for the for the season? I'm like, nowhere close. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, we're hard, nowhere near. You know, we've had a lot of, of active storms that have given us a few inches here, a few inches there, two that were decent size, close to 10, but right. not any of the years where we've gotten, not Lock like any of the years right. where we've gotten like two feet twice right. or three times. <laughs> yeah. Our memories are kind of short and the last two seasons are a little bit, a little bit meager. So when you see a season like this and really concentrated literally in the month of February. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, some some people have seen an historic winter like Texas, for instance, you know, and <laughs> Dallas, Texas, I, I they've been colder than us than we've been at all this winter. I mean, it was amazing yeah, far how the, far that cold went south. Yeah, but the trade off is they get to be 80 degrees the next week. So yeah, we don't I know. Do that. <laughs> I know. And they need it. I mean, just uh, horrendous what's been going on down there. It's been, you know, they're saying that, you know, if you likened it to a hurricane, it would be the devastation of a Cat 5 over a much wider area of Texas. Yeah, you know, it's sometimes we don't think about that certain areas of the country are built, the infrastructure is built for certain types of weather that they usually expect. Sure. So when you get something that's unusual to that magnitude, I mean, it, it, it's crazy how some services and, and necessities become unavailable. Yeah, literally not there. And the, the big one in this case turned out to be water. And for a lot of folks, it was water damage. And, you know, in new homes, and I know for a fact in Texas, you have to have the sprinkler system put in. So what happened when they lost the heat for a period of time, those sprinkler systems froze and they burst. And that's what caused a lot of the water damage 
uh, that we're seeing. There were some incredible pictures. There was one that stuck out to me. It was a kitchen, but the overhead uh, water had poured down and it was frozen in a waterfall type setting, like in the middle of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. So that was a, a lot of the damage was frozen pipes and then that water bursting and uh, causing the water damage. And there were people actually taking the snow from outside and melting it to use as water. Wow. You, you know, wow. And, and they had all of this water around them, you know, frozen water. They obviously couldn't use it. I mean, just finding enough heat to melt. Uh, in melt Texas, the, think the about snow. that. Yeah, in Texas of all places. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. You know, there are people struggling just to find water. So it, it really does go, go to show how fragile, uh, you know, our, our lives can be yep. given, given certain weather events. Well, it goes back to, like you said, you you build and you maintain a, an infrastructure based on what you're used to seeing. Um, in this case, you know, houses don't have as much insulation like you would winterize for a winter. Uh, businesses, the same. Um, so, yeah, there was just not that. And they don't have snow plows and salt trucks and especially the, the smaller places like Dallas had some, but not right. enough to, to keep up with it. And then... Um, and and then the politics of, of it all gets into the idea of should we have the infrastructure in place to deal with an event that may only happen once in your lifetime? Right. So that that whole debate, it's not as easy as people may, you know, are, are made to think. I mean, I know we like to instantly go to the blame game sure. with, with a lot of these things, but stuff happens and you can't think about everything, even in our society today when we're technologically advanced, you know, you can't. Right. Be prepared for everything necessarily. Well, just think back to what I mentioned with the sprinklers being mandated now. So yep. you go back the last time they had that kind of cold, I think it was at 89. Is that sound right? Yes. Yeah, you know, you go that. back. So probably those regulations didn't exist. So now you have, because of a new regulation, uh, a whole new kind of damage or, or potential damage with the sprinkler heads freezing, you know, uh, in this extreme cold. So, you know, that goes back to what you said. It becomes political because there was a policy put in place that forced new homes to have these right. uh, sprinkler systems. So um, you're right. It's it's much more gray. I mean, that those were put in with good intentions to, you know, fire suppress. And now here we are in a cold situation that nobody banked on. Um, but I, I think this is where we need to come in together as, a, as the weather community and say, hey, look, these things did happen in the past. They happened in 89. Seems like a long time ago, but by weather standards, it's not that long ago. So I think as we move forward, we have to prepare for every eventuality. Maybe not put all our efforts into, you know, cold. You live in Texas, obviously. But knowing that, hey, every, like you said, maybe five or six years, we're going to deal with extreme cold. And and what do we put in place when we know that? Because we, we have the point now where we know it's coming at least a week in advance, right? Right, right. And it was so, well predicted. Yeah. It was well predicted. And, you know, that's that's a, a, another thing that, you know, I think sometimes fails between the person receiving the forecast information and the forecaster. When something is well predicted, if the uh -huh. person experiences something bad, they interpret that as the forecast being wrong. Correct. You know, it's like, no, we said this was going to happen. We said it could be bad. And they misplace their misfortune with the fact that they must have received received bad information. You know? When in fact, they probably didn't prepare properly or like you said, maybe they didn't take it seriously. Right. And sometimes it is just as bad as we say. And that's and they you know, the interpretation is is correct. But, 
You know, in, in all these situations, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's so easy right. to see something happen and then see what you should have done. I mean, that's the whole point behind lesson learned. And you do have to learn those lessons. And I think uh, moving forward, they have to say, okay, this is this is something that could happen. And how are we prepared for it? Because like you said, if you know this stuff a week in advance, I don't know if you saw, but all the um, all the folks who are involved with the, the Texas power grid, which is a little different political setup because they're, they're their own isolated grid, but all the board members of that grid had to resign because yep. um, obviously a they they were ill-prepared and even though no, they know it was coming they still didn't take you know whatever steps were necessary to right. i'm not saying they could have prevented everything but like you said maybe people could be better prepared yeah you know it's it's uh i i'd love to have more of the conversation you know what can be done to prevent it in the future rather than just instantly go after somebody right you know it, it just and, and people like to, they like to, it, it, it's a way for people to elevate their own sense of self-importance to immediately criticize somebody else and not right. actually have a discussion where we could improve in a healthy conversation and, and figure out how to fix this down the road. It's immediately, that person's at fault. And when you admit right. that, you feel better because you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. Because <laughs> you're off the hook, right? It's human instinct to do that. It's a way we protect our egos. We all do it. Yeah, and and we all have an ego to an extent, but we got to put those aside for the for the bigger picture. And, and in right. today's political climate, we just don't do that. No, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. But right. when you see somebody able to do that, you're able to recognize good character in that person. Right. So let's talk about recognition. And uh, in this case, I want to transition to, to pattern change. And this is something that, you know, I think you learn over time as a forecaster. So when I say pattern changes, we have patterns on large scales that may be decades long or uh, year long. But in this case, when we look at seasonal stuff, I always look at that three to four week pattern that tends to change. And I think this year has been kind of a textbook when you look at January for us was nothing i mean it was quiet we were in the 40s it was really it was a pretty nice january uh until the very last day when we got into that snowfall on the 31st but then a very distinct pattern change for this active cold february i think we you know saw that coming pretty well and now we're making that next transition and it seems to be you know, kind of going with the calendar, which is fine. Uh, as we transition to March, uh, that wholesale change, we're going to put that really cold stuff behind us and put those uh, active pattern behind us. Do you see that too? Yeah. So, you know, this, this is an example of March coming in like a lamb. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and a bit warmer. So when I say warmer, we're kind of getting back to, you know, average highs. So we're going to be at or above average. But I was just looking at some of the early March stats, and it really looks like we could be quiet for mm -hmm. seven to ten days. I mean, no precipitation, so very dry, uh, very dry, very lamb-like, as you say. Yeah, and you know, March is 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 one of the months where it's not uncommon where we see our first truly warm day. You know, <laughs> well, I, we kind of felt that uh, just a couple of days we ago. We did, but I'm talking about like warm day. I'm not. I mean, I don't see that, but you know, I'm just trying to bring some. Keep right. some light at the end of the tunnel here. You know, I see a lot of winter weather lovers yeah. now, including myself. I haven't said this yet, though, but I've seen a number of other people say, all right, I'm ready for spring. Even are you there people, yet? Even people who are obsessed with snow. So, are you there yet? I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know yet. I think I'm in that like transition zone of still wanting winter, but really missing the warm weather too. Well, and, and it is a transition. It doesn't happen overnight in, in the mid-Atlantic. So here's my prediction. I say we're not finished with snow. I think we have one more snow in us in March, but not a big one, like a three to four inch snowfall. Um, and I see that happening before the month is done. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I think that storm could very well have a mix with it. You know, kind of. Well, <laughs> that's that's a good point. Even our big storms this year have had uh, some kind of mix uh, yep. play out within it as well. So you're on board for one more snow. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how these storms seem to play out the same way, but when you're in a like this year, the you know this just the storm track was very unique to this year, and with yep. the current weather pattern, these storms in any given wet weather pattern will tend to take the same track. So and we've seen a lot of that. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that. So, you know, whenever you're looking at a at a weather event, it's always good to, you know, analyze, well, what's happened so far this year and has the pattern changed so much where we're definitely not expecting a mix? And, so, and that was never the case this year. And, right. I, you know, people kept asking me, why do you keep saying mix? And I said, because that's how every storm has played out. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think with these particular storms this year, it's, it's been, you know, I think the problem with the pattern recognition, and this is one of the hardest parts of our job, is that's the key. But sometimes you got to be two weeks into the thing before you recognize, oh, this is the pattern. <laughs> you know what I mean? plays out. Yeah, and it's only a three or four week pattern, so um, it takes a little while to recognize it and then apply it. You know, in case in point, last, uh, was it Sunday we had that overperformer? No, it was Monday. Monday into you Tuesday. You know, typically a west to east yeah, system Monday. that moves quickly like that doesn't drop more than two inches of snow, but surprise, it does. <laughs> Well, wow. you and I—I I remember uh, we we touched base on the, the Sunday before the Monday, and uh, I totally agree with you. And you were talking like you know a coating to two inches, and then you get up in the morning, and you're like, what are the dynamics going on here that a leaves this thing linger longer than it should, and just as you mentioned, overperform? And I think sometimes as meteorologists, we don't dig back into the older storm because we're so focused on the next thing right. um, that we don't go back and go, okay, why did that overachieve? And what I looked at this year, there was a couple of storms where I think I underestimated them. So I probably should have recognized that in the pattern. In other words, like you said, what, what's happened so far this year? Okay. The, the West to East ones are overperforming, whether they linger longer or they have a little more moisture than we anticipated. But I think we as meteorologists need to do a better job of learning from those things even while we're in them yeah absolutely see hindsight's 2020 and 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 with this you know particular system i'm, I'm not sure it really lasted longer than expected more or less it right. just had a heavy thumping of snow i mean really right. heavy really heavy and those are you know those little mesoscale events so mesoscale i mean like a very localized weather event atmospheric mm -hmm. setup uh, they oftentimes don't come together until you're almost witnessing it happen in real time I think that's a good point. With, with all the technology we have and our, our future casts have gotten really good and, and the modeling, but, you know, I worked on Friday night. You took over for the weekend. Friday, I, <laughs> I didn't think we'd have anything more than a few snow showers. Right. You know what I mean? That's that's how potent it looked. And then uh, even uh, Sunday, touching base with you. So I think you have a really good point. Sometimes those dynamics, um, you know, don't come together in such a way until you're actually in the storm 
And then you're trying to, you know, convey that message that, hey, this thing's going to be an overperformer. Right. And plus, you know, in, in February, too, uh, you also have to figure out in late February, when is the timing of it going to start? I mean, right. are, are roads going to be covered by the time the sun is up high enough? Because if that started <laughs> in mid-afternoon, we would it wouldn't have been as impactful, I don't right. think. That's because, a good point. Because the roads would have would have trouble accumulating at first. <laughs> well, we always try to make that point that even on a cloudy day uh, in February, that sun angle starts to come into play. But just how much that comes into play, that's a little harder to yep. predict. You know, you can get sunburn through the clouds, especially in <laughs> well, Florida. I mean, you still got to yep. put a – there's still some UV that comes through the clouds that people underestimate, so – that's a really good point. Yep. All right, so we made the point that we still have a snowfall in us, but let's jump a little bit further ahead, April, May. How do you think this affects severe season? Because what I was looking at is last year, and this is the whole year, we had like no tornadoes. I, know. I mean, not, not just here, but across the country, tornadoes were way down. Um, so as we look ahead to our severe season, which tends to be a little later, May and June, um, do you think it's going to be active this spring? I think it could be, especially if we get the really, really super active jet stream, which we've known has been the case for the past. Well, it wasn't so much in January, but February super February active. Was. I mean, if we get a jet stream like that in April and May, you can bank on a on a pretty active severe weather season. Now, exactly where that's going to be centralized right now, it's the deep south, typically. Right. And it um, usually is this early in the it in usually the year. is. But so, uh, I'm kind of thinking a, a little more active, certainly yep. more active than last year. Uh, as far as severe season goes. So I think, you know, once we get this one little snow <laughs> that, that you and I agree on past this, that, that our focus as a, as a weather enterprise and certainly as a weather team, uh, we're going to start looking about, you know, preparing people for these um, these active storms in the sure. spring. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a, there's a I, I know we didn't, I know I didn't mention us talking about it in this podcast, but I think I'll, I'll, drop a little plug for it but do you know there's another big storm coming this spring oh i think i know what you're getting what at am i getting at one that might bug you per se yes okay you know exactly <laughs> where i'm going now this is this is i mean this is really exciting stuff i mean if you're just interested in how you know beautiful and cool nature can be <laughs> okay uh, go ahead you can spill the beans go yeah, ahead so uh this year um we're going to be dealing with something called the uh, 17 year cicada. And I'm, I'm working on a little story that's going to be airing Friday. So it being Thursday, this is going to air tomorrow. Um, okay. But you can always find it at CBS21.com. Yeah, correct. So every 17 years we get the, this brood of cicadas that rises from the ground. And, and I think the biggest misunderstanding people have is, oh, well, there's cicadas everywhere. I mean, every right. year. That's true. We, there's an annual cicada are, right? every yeah. spring that comes out of the ground. But this one, it's not like everyone in central PA is going to see it. It comes in pockets. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that Pincho State Park will be ground zero for this event. Because oh, I was really? there in 2004. And... Baltimore and Washington, D.C. Were, were the epicenter in 2004. And once you got towards Parkton, Maryland, uh -huh. shut off. And you didn't see or hear any cicadas along 83 okay. until you got to the Newburytown-Lewisbury exit. And it's, huh. it's like a light switches on. Bruh. 
it you huh. can seriously hear it through on the highway through through your car. That's okay, let me definitely it is. Let me ask you this because I know you've been researching this, but what I've always heard and and working here almost 20 years now, I've heard this a couple of times. Oh, this is going to be the big cicada season. And the theory is that because we've built developments and done so, you know, moved earth enough that you really don't get that big burst of cicadas because you, you've disturbed their habitat. Right. So we've seen, you know, the, it, it was very widespread in 87, 1987. So 1987, 2004, now 2021. We've had okay. a lot of subdivisions and, and new property right. that has been built. And sure enough, yeah, that's uprooted a lot of the cicadas. They usually burrow two feet into the ground. So when you're doing construction and uprooting where they've yeah. been burrowing all these years, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to certainly disturb the population. So, and I'm glad you brought this up, Tom. So a lot of the places that you'll see them are where mm -hmm. the ground has been undisturbed for decades. And, yeah, but with all our growth, are there even places like that anymore? You're I talking mean, about like farmland? Yeah, yeah Pinchot State Park. Oh, okay. You, yeah, you, your older subdivisions, you know, gotcha. down in Baltimore, you know, some of your older neighborhoods like Homeland, um, Stonely, areas like that that haven't seen a lot of construction in decades. Well, the State Park thing makes sense. Yeah. You'll see, you'll see these, decade, the, these cicadas just, I mean, it's, it's insane. The noise. <laughs> You know, you won't get any fish biting because they're constantly being fed by them falling out of the sky. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, you get it's literally trillions of them come out of the ground and and wow. and they all come out some random night in May or June when the soil temperature hits 64 degrees, two feet down. They so all just somehow know to come up at the same time. If you go to Pinchot State Park at night, the whole ground starts to move. They wow. all start to you know, come up and climb uh, grass blades. They climb up the trees. Some of the tree stumps, you'll be ankle deep in shells. Wow. So, so they come out of their shell yeah. and then all of the uh, fluid in their bodies drains into their wings, which fills out their wings. And usually in like a couple hours, they're able to fly. And the next day they just make the males make this huge, huge buzzing sound. And they come up from the ground for one reason, one goal in mind. You know what that is? One dating, 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 <laughs> dating to mate. So, so they, and they don't live long, do they? No. So I think they might live just a week or two. That's about yeah, it. That's what I heard. Yeah. And the other, the other interesting thing is that the female will cut a little slit in all of the branches to lay her eggs, which is by the thousands. And these little branches die because the female's basically cutting them open. Uh -huh. So where you see the cicada swarms the, the most abundant, uh, the trees will start to turn brown, almost like fall. In, no kid. Yeah, in June. So when you go to Pinchot State Park, you'll notice there's a lot of uh, change in tree color, and it's called flagging, where all these cicadas just uh, basically take these smaller branches where the leaves die, and then they fall to the ground and the cicadas go under. And for another 17 years, another right? 17 years. So uh, again, so, I know there's people that, are the, that you know see these every year. We see them every year. But this particular swarm, you just have to know where to go. So the state park thing, so that makes a lot of sense because it hasn't been disturbed. So Pincho uh, is one that you're focused on. But just about any of the state parks then? Um, I do know that uh, Pine Grove Furnace is a mm -hmm. hot spot. Um, okay. but you know, you, your older subdivisions, especially Northern York County, Northern York County will be a lot 
more interesting than the southern part of the county. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely sporadic. And a lot of these cicadas, they like tree lines. So not deep into the forest. It's like the edge of the forest. Oh. And that's oftentimes where your soil temperature is going to be higher because it gets more sunlight. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it, you know, you'll see it in Baltimore all over. You'll see it in D.C. That's really where the epicenter is going to be. Then once you get north of the Mason-Dixon, it's more spotty. But where it's at, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, it's insane. Wow. Now you got me looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I know where to go. I know exactly where to go. So I'm very <laughs> confident that Pincho State Park is going to be an amazing sight to see. It really well, is. I mean, you just, it, it, nature's amazing. You heard it here first. Ed says the ground will move. Uh, but I like how it's tied to weather. 64 degrees, yep. two feet under. Very precise yeah. I mean, they're almost better meteorologists than us. They, they don't even need a thermometer. They just, yeah, it's 64. Time to Let's come go. out of the ground. <laughs> Bars open. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think I'm going to go on a date tonight. Well, I think, uh, you know, we should come up with some good cicada pickup lines. Like, hey, baby, where you been for the last 17 years? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember you when you were just a cute little nymph. <laughs> well, on that note, before we get in trouble, we should probably wrap things up, man. <laughs> yeah, this can, go, this, can, this can go down a deep, buggy road. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm sure we'll be talking about this. You know, I, I hope to do a bigger story on this in May. Um, yeah, so there'll be a lot of talk to talk about, especially as it's happening. Especially as it's happening. So. Well, I just I, I just had a glimpse of a great live shot. We could uh, put you like in a clear box, bury you two feet under, and then you give us the signal that hey, they're <laughs> moving around, they're starting to go. Um, that'd be kind of a cool one. They're coming. They're coming. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's so many good live oppor- live shot opportunities. With this. So many. Well, I'm looking forward to. It. Always great to catch up with you, my friend. Yeah, you too, Tom. You're listening to it's raining Mets. <laughs>